to tell us that God is doing a work through the circumstances that we're going through. We know that. So though these words are different, or similar, they are different nuances. One is an end product. It's a byproduct. It's an end result of. So that when I go through that trial, when I go through that time of testing, the end result will be that of endurance. And it will help us go for the time period that is necessary. The end result that is being talked about is our faith. So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning, too, along with this entire title uh, subject, is how is our faith in God? Do we trust Him? Are we walking by faith? We ask for a life of ease. We ask that life goes well, that we have no problems. We ask God to protect us from those things. But at the same time, we have to realize that those are the very things that God allows to test our faith. And it really, if we're honest with ourselves, it helps us to know where we're truly at in our walk with Him. So, it tests our faith. And patience is needed while you are going through the trial. You ever thought about that? None of us likes the trial. We don't like going through the difficult situations. But we need ultimate patience through that. In fact, David experienced that in a Psalm uh, chapter uh, 40. If you would take your Bibles there and turn, for, turn there just for a moment. And you can see how this is the end result of something that God is doing. In Psalm chapter 40, I love this entire passage. And uh, let me just say this as part of the text here, is that music is really a powerful tool. Um, to some of you, hey, you like music, you like throwing the radio on, you like listening to the cassettes and so forth. Cassettes. That's the long one. My old truck still has one. Uh, but you like listening to music, and you know, in various times, you're going through, going through something, you, you turn music on and, and so forth. Music is a powerful tool, and we see an example of that here. But look what it says first of all. It says, I waited how? Patiently. That's not something we enjoy doing. And when we do hit those rough spots, we want to, boom, get done and get through it. Get on to the next chapter. In fact, I've used that phrase many times in my life. I wish this chapter would end, because whatever the next chapter is, I'd rather be in that one than this one. Because this one's hard. This one's difficult. There's certain chapters we don't like. But David says, I waited patiently. What was the end result of that patiently waiting? He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a horrible or desolate pit, out of the muddy clay, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. As He patiently waited, it doesn't tell us what He was going through. It doesn't tell us unless we go back, we can see there are many circumstances in his life that were not pleasant. But the bottom line is he says, I patiently waited for the Lord. I cried out to him in that time of waiting. And I think that's probably the best thing to do while we are waiting, is cry out to the Lord. Um, I know in our modern culture, one of the easiest things to do in our difficult times is what? Well, you, you get out the cell phone and you say, hey, you don't believe what happened to me this week. And we start telling all of our friends, and all of a sudden it gets back to us like, man, I haven't even spent time talking with God as much as I've talked to all these people about this situation. We need to get on our face before God, which is what David did. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He turned to me and heard my cry. He turned because David was crying out to Him during this time of trial. And then God worked. He brought me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry clay. And that's what trials do sometimes. 
sometimes we get stuck in the situation and where do you else do you have to turn but up to God? And God pulls us out of it and it's God that has to do it. And then look at verse 3. And this is where I say music is a powerful tool. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, that many will see it in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Music has the ability to turn. Now when God puts a song in our heart and God places music in our life, God can use that to turn the hearts of people towards Himself. But this is what He does in the big picture. You go through the trial and He turns it into a triumph for His own glory. But notice what happens in the middle. There's crying out to God through it. And there's patience exercised. And without the patience, we miss what, we may miss what God may be trying to do in our lives. So patience is needed while you are going through the trial. Endurance is the end result of patiently trusting in the Lord while you are going through that trial. And endurance is that inner strength, that quality of strength that is gained from successfully trusting God amidst the trial. And it's an amazing thing here. And once again, we talked about that word trial and temptation. Some of, your, some of your translations will say trial, some of them will say temptations. They're similar words. But the bottom line is this. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says what? There is no temptation that's taking you, but such is what? Common to man. In other words, when you're going through it, you're not the only one going through it. Everybody goes through these things. And as you're going through it, he says, this is a common thing. You're not the only one going through it. And he says, with that temptation, there is a what? Way of escape. And oftentimes, I found in my life, it's simply learning to say no when you're going through those things. I'm not going to give in to that. I'm going to trust God. I made up my mind. That's what it says back in James 1, right? Consider it joy. Have the right mindset before it even happens. Be prepared that when that trial, when that temptation comes, my mind is made up in advance that I'm going to respond correctly. So with that way, temptation, there is a way of escape. When my mind is made up, I can have the right outcome. But here's the thing. Oftentimes, God knows what we're able to handle. Um, I think God in His grace, sometimes in His mercy, He doesn't allow us, or a new believer or a younger believer who's less mature to handle something that an older, older Christian may be able to handle. God knows what we're able. But whatever it is, He gives us the way of escape. Um, so remember, all this stuff is used to produce a maturity within us. Um, the endurance is a quiet inner strength. Um, Turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 just for a moment. 2 Thessalonians 1. I'm going to look at verse 3 just for a moment. It says, We must always thank God for you, brothers. This is right, since your faith is flourishing and the love each of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches about your endurance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions you endure. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom, for which we are also suffering. Think about that. As we suffer through the trials, as we suffer through the persecutions, as we go through the affliction, guess what? The endurance is seen. In other words, we can see. God says, I can see that your endurance is there, therefore you are trusting me. And he's praising them for a moment here. That they are staying faithful. In chapter 3, in verse 5, 
He says this, May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. He's encouraging them to keep faithful, to keep going strong amidst the difficulty. In other words, to exercise that patience during the trial. And every time you go through a trial, every time you go through a difficult situation, when we handle it correctly, the result is that I will have stronger endurance. Um, If I can say this just for a moment, um, I know this will really shock many of you in this room this morning. But I'm not a marathon runner. I know, I know it's shocking, but I'm not a marathon runner. Um, but I've always been interested in watching the triathlons on, on sports on Saturday mornings. Used to always watch the triathlons. And I watched these guys, I could, I said I could handle the swimming, I could handle the biking, there ain't no way I'm touching the running. That's just out there. In high school, I used to bike over 100 miles a week. I loved biking. I used to do it every weekend. Um, as I look at those guys, how is it that they're able to handle a 100-mile bike ride by starting with a 2-mile bike ride? And you say, man, I get that bike ride, and it's like, man, I get that hill, and it was tough, so I had to get off and walk. Man, that is the most embarrassing thing in the world, this drive-by, and you're walking up a hill with your bike and everyone else... Everyone's like, man, he couldn't even get up the hill. Hmm. Pride gets affected real deeply there. But how do you get through it? You work at it, and you'll 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 work at it. And pretty soon, I remember when I was getting into biking, we used to take these little three or four mile rides, and then we would take this, you know, with our youth group, we'd go on the eight mile rides, and then we'd work up to the 25 mile rides. Uh, we were driving to William O'Brien State Park on Friday night, so it was 55 miles one way. We'd ride down there on a Friday after school or on a Friday morning during the summertime and we would camp out overnight and then we'd come back. Man, we were, we were, it wasn't long before we were putting in 100 miles on one way. And it was awesome. But how do you get to the 100 miles? You build up to it. How do we get endurance biblically? By handling the, sm- the smaller situations that God allows in our life. We exercise patience. And as you exercise patience, you see how God is at work. You see how God is doing a, what he's trying to accomplish in your life through it. And after a while, you look back and you say, hey, I can handle this. And then the next time one comes, you say, that's not so bad. God is at work. He's doing something. He's glorifying himself. And after a while, you handle several of these smaller things, and you begin to see that God is building endurance in your life. But in the beginning, if we don't handle it right in the beginning, we'll never have the endurance that God wants us to have. And there's something to be said about endurance. That it's an inner quality that you say, God is in control. God is powerful enough to handle this. When we think about this, this is really what he's saying in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. We talked about it just briefly last week. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses, there it is, it's a testimony. Surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance, the race that lies before us. And how do we do that? We said, verse 2, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that lay before Him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. It's all about staying faithful to God in every situation, every circumstance. God wants to teach us endurance. And He accomplishes this in part by allowing trials into our lives. Without the trials, you'll never, endure, you'll never 
uh, gain that endurance that God wants you to have. So the trials are necessary. And we have the choice to exercise patience, which produces endurance, or not. What happens when we're not patient? Say, so, man, I have all kinds of testimonies of that in my own home. We're a lot impatient, aren't we? We don't like to wait. We don't like to experience things that are not part of our agenda. We don't like to deal with things that we didn't plan on that day. Man, we want a life of ease. But what happens when we don't exercise patience? When we say we're going to do this regardless of what God may want, when we do, I think there are several examples of this. I'm not going to look at all of them, but I want you to just highlight a couple of things. Genesis chapter 16. Remember the situation? Abraham went ahead uh, of the Lord in choosing to marry Hagar. And in doing so, what happened? He brought sorrow into his life. When we are impatient, when we don't take the time to wait on God, sorrow comes. Because we always, by our nature, by our sinful, selfish nature, we want to control outcomes. Abraham was no different in the situation. He went ahead of God, married Hagar, and thus brought sorrow into his life. Exodus chapter 2. Remember the story? Uh, uh, Moses is is in in the wilderness, and he takes it upon himself to go ahead of God, and I think he, I, at least I believe so, in taking the life of an Egyptian. That was not God's plan. God worked despite it. God worked through it. But that was not God's plan for him to take a, take a life. God had an ultimate different plan for him. And the plan was to lead God's children out of Egypt's bondage. But he went ahead, and what happened? He ended up having a life of running. For a period of time, he had to run. He had to watch his back. It produced sorrow. In John chapter 18... Peter went ahead of God, just for a moment. Remember, God had prophesied that what was going to happen to Jesus? He was going to die. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to be sent to the cross of Calvary. But Peter, in his impatience, takes out his sword and whacks off a guy's ear and about kills him. Peter was going to handle the situation in his own wisdom, in his own ability. And let me just tell you, when we try to handle the circumstances of life, and that was probably no joyride that Peter was facing. Peter was standing before these soldiers. And Peter, you know how he is. He had open mouth insert foot syndrome. And as he's sitting there standing before these soldiers, I mean, he's going to take matters into his own hands because Peter is so impulsive, isn't he? I'm just like Peter in some of those areas. Man, I need to think, think twice as much as I speak because I have two ears and one mouth. And Yeah, if I was with Peter, I'd be just like him. And Peter wants to control the outcome. Whips out the sword. But you know, here's the thing. If you just wait on God, if you just wait on Him, His will is going to take place anyway, was it not? Peter got ahead of the Lord. And I don't know how many times in my life I've probably done the same thing in getting ahead of what God's plan is because I want to control the outcome. You see, that gets back to the surrendering. If I trust God enough to work in my life and I say, God, you make no mistakes then I have to, at the same time, say, God, I surrender. Not just certain aspects of my life, but all of it. Even the hard stuff. Even the difficulties. Bottom line is, God's in control. Am I willing to surrender? But look back in our text here, verse 4. It says, verse 4, But endurance must do its complete work complete. It's got to run its course. 
You can't stop it when it starts. You can't alter it because God's will is final. God is sovereign. We said that over and over. Because God is sovereign, He can do whatever He wants, right? He doesn't have to get permission. He doesn't need any permission, right? He can do whatever He wants. And if God allows something, then we have to say, God, I surrender. You can do whatever you want, and I accept. No qualms, no disappointment, no disagreements, no quarreling. God, you are God. We forget that. So the result of letting it take its course and us responding correctly to the trial says, let endurance, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may be, some of your translations may say perfect. The word literally means mature. In other words, God is through these trials, when we respond correctly, He is maturing us, right? He's perfecting us. He's maturing us. So it says, there's maturity that is that results and there is a completeness. And that word completeness has an idea of wholeness. And it really comes from an interesting word. Um, and I'm not even going to try to say all the Greek words as I, sometimes I, they're just interesting to me. They stand out. But the holocaleros, it's a really neat word because the word, the prefix of it is hollow. And it comes from the word holographic. In other words, it's a three-dimensional thing. God says, I look at you and I'm going to complete, complete something that is whole within you. Um, several years ago, there was a conference down in Atlanta. And uh, I had a friend that went to the conference. And uh, as he was there, uh, this particular pastor had two, two uh, locations that he, was, that he was pastoring at the same time. Uh, he was doing one at a certain time, and then he'd get over to the other place at another time. And so he said, I really want to see both churches. I really want to see how this works. So he went to the one service, and he's watching the preacher, and he said, as soon as he said the final amen and the closing prayer, he said, I ran out, he goes, I literally at a quick pace ran out the back door, got in my car. He said, I purposely parked at the end of the parking lot so I could be the first one out. And he said, I ran seven miles or nine miles to the other location. And he said, I walk in there and I look up on stage and here's the pastor. And he said, I'm sitting there going, this, he was just dumbfounded. And he, there was a, there was a, an usher at the back and he says, what does this guy have, an, have a helicopter or what? He says, I was the last one out and I tried to be the first one here. How did he get here so fast? And he said, the usher looked at him and goes, you've never been here before, have you? He goes, no. He goes, come with me. Walked all the way up to the front of the stage area and he goes, look at it. It was a holographic image of a person at the other church. It was lifelike. That's the thing here. Holographic, three-dimensional, whole. Not just part. You see, I can see a picture, and all you get is the front. But when it's holographic and it's 3D, it's complete. And he said, that's what's being produced here. Something that is complete. Not just a picture, not just a part, but it has the idea of wholeness. That you may be perfect or mature and complete or whole, then it says what? Lacking nothing. Through the trials that God allows into our life, He doesn't want to just fix a part of us. He doesn't want to just do a small piece of us. 
He says, I desire that your life be complete, mature, and whole. So that every part of you lacks nothing. That's what God wants to do through the trials. And we kick and resist against trials, don't we? I mean, only a, only a dummy would want to go through the difficult stuff. I want to ease life. But that's not what produces endurance. Endurance is only produced through the trial. And only when we respond correctly to the trial. So what's the key? Turn back to 30, Psalm 37, if you would, just for a moment. Psalm chapter 37. I love this passage. My favorite verse is verse 23. A man's steps are established by the Lord. I love that. And he takes pleasure in his way. But the verse I want to look at and highlight this morning is verse 7 and following. Verse 7 says this, Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for Him. How hard is it for many of us to just stop everything? Everything? And just meditate with the Lord? Just stop. I mean, just don't think about the calendar. Don't think about the things you have to do around the house. Don't think about what's happening at work, what's happening over here. To just stop. He says, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for Him. There's another key word there. Expectantly. Do we really pray and talk with God with expectation that He's going to respond? If we don't, why do we bother? God, I'm going to throw this prayer up. You know, it's kind of a Hail Mary. I'm not sure if you're going to really respond to it or not, but you know, just, just for good measure, I'm going to go ahead and throw it out to you. I think I'm afraid. I'm afraid that a lot of Christians, that's how they re- deal with prayer. Just a thought. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way, by the man who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. For evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked person will be no more. Though you look for him, he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy the abundant prosperity. There is a blessing to just simply waiting on God. Being patient. Enduring what God has for you to go through. Because in the meanwhile, doesn't it always seem like the, the wicked prosper? Doesn't it always seem like I'm going through this difficult trial and he's getting a brand new car? I'm going through this difficult situation and he's buying a new house. I'm going through this difficult situation and they're going on another vacation. What gives? You've never thought that way, I know. That's what other people do. <laughs> but here's the deal. That will end. That's temporal. God is eternal. This life is for a season. Heaven is forever. And we have to have the right mindset in it. So you just wait patiently during it. And then one more. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Another aspect of this, and I think it goes hand in hand. I'm going to stretch just a little bit here. As far as the context. 
Verse 4 says this, For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the Scriptures. I just want you to see for a moment, there was a link through the endurance and the encouragement from the Scriptures. We need to link those together. We have no hope apart from the Scriptures. Do you get that? There is nothing to live for apart from the Scriptures. If all we have in life is the difficulty without the hope from what we know of in Scripture, I think it's of the other passages that says we are men most, what? Miserable. There, if there is no hope, we have nothing to look forward to. So we have to realize that God has a reason. And one final look at our passage there in James 1. Look at verse 4. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. God wants us to be complete. And if we can walk so close to God, Mike and I have talked about this in the past, where we get to the point that we trust what God has for us is right, right? God doesn't make mistakes. What He allows is perfect. And what happens is when I begin to completely surrender, completely surrender my life to Him, then, and only then, do my desires line up with what His desires for me are, right? And when my desires come in line with what He desires for me, guess what I lack? What? Not a thing. Not a thing. But when my desires don't line up with His desires for me, man, there's all kinds of things I want and need. I can justify it and rationalize it and excuse it away. God, you're just not providing what I need. But man, when I, when I go through that situation and I line, my, my desires line up with what God desires for me, I need nothing. Because He's in control. He doesn't make mistakes. And His will is perfect. So there's value. Let's just think about this as we close. There is value in going through the trial. And every time we go through that trial, we gain confidence and strength. So we know that at the end of it, we're going to have an endurance. And that endurance is going to allow us to be mature. It's going to allow us to be complete. And it's going to allow us to understand that we have need of nothing. Everything God is, is all that we need. And it all starts back to verse 2. Consider it all joy. That's where it starts. Is your mind made up? And if it is, this will be the end result. If it's not, it's going to have sorrow. Let's pray.